Welcome to The Thing About Austin, a podcast about Jane Austen's world. I'm Zan. And I'm Diane. And this episode, we're talking about Lucy's filigree. We are spending the evening at Barton Park for this episode with Lady Middleton, the visiting Miss Steeles, and the Dashwood ladies. Sir John is away at his club, so this episode is a bit of an unintentional chronological <laughs> follow-up to our episode uh-huh. on Sir John's club. And the ladies are about to play cards when Lady Middleton says the following to Lucy. I am glad, said Lady Middleton to Lucy, you are not going to finish poor little Anna Maria's basket this evening, for I am sure it must hurt your eyes to work filigree by candlelight. And we will make the dear little love some amends for her disappointment tomorrow, and then I hope she will not much mind it. This hint was enough. Lucy recollected herself instantly. And then we get a little passage where, you know, Lady Middleton is like, oh, good, we'll get you all set up to do all this filigree work. And then again from the text, Lucy directly drew her work table near her and reseated herself with an alacrity and cheerfulness which seemed to infer that she could taste no greater delight than in making a filigree basket for a spoiled child. This whole scene is just, it's so good. This is, this is like showcase Austin in these passages, for sure. We are learning so much about these characters in this exchange. <laughs> so much. Filigree, as it is called in Austin's work, is also known as quilling, paper filigree, paper mosaic, paper lace, and paper scroll. So a lot of names Mm -hmm, for this mm -hmm. particular activity. Quilling is perhaps the most common used term, so it's the one we will use a lot in today's episode, along with filigree. Filigree is often used as a term specifically for intricate scrolled work with delicate gold or silver wire rather than paper. Quilling, on the other hand, describes the art form of rolling thin strips of paper into tight coils, then shaping those coils into various configurations, which, when combined together, can create intricate designs. And those coils were often glued onto a hard surface like a wooden box to create a decorative piece. Quilling gets its name from the use of bird quills to create these tight scrolls. One would essentially create a small slit at the top of a quill, or one could even use a quill that is already prepared to be used as a pen. And then you thread that small strip of paper into that slit and then start rolling the paper into a coil on top of that. So you just kind of twist, 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 and then you get your little paper rolls. And this is the work that Eleanor offers to do alongside Lucy as the scene continues. So Eleanor says, if I should happen to cut out, I may be of some use to Miss Lucy Steele in rolling her papers for her. So she is sort of proposing to roll the papers, and that will leave Lucy able to focus on creating the design for the box. Right. And it's also a great way for Eleanor to get out of having to play cards so that (laughs) she can have time to talk to Lucy about Edward. Yeah, there's strategy at play here, Mm -hmm. for sure. Eleanor knows what she's doing. (laughs) So the origins of filigree and quilling are kind of murky since these art forms crop up in lots of different countries and at different times. According to Claire Battison's article, Natural Born Quillers, 
which gets a five-star review from me just for that pun, by the way. I love it. Great. Great title. (laughs) So according to this article, Europe specifically sees a rise in filigree and quilling in churches and monasteries. So here's from her text. It is noted that early quill work was first used as decoration in religious houses as early as the medieval period. Monks and nuns had an immense knowledge of inks, paints, and gilding, and wanted to decorate the screens and panels in their monasteries and convents to imitate the metal filigree work, which had originated during the Byzantine period. Quilling adapts well to mosaic designs. And Battison continues by pointing out that around 1459, England's first paper mill was created, and that makes quilling even more accessible. And, as she points out, quote, Once painted and gilded, if viewed from a distance, the quills could imitate metal filigree. So a lot of churches and religious buildings from the 15th and 16th century still have examples of this kind of quilling. By the beginning of the Georgian era, quilling became more of a mainstream pastime for domestic decorations and ornate work. And in the late 18th century, it was particularly viewed as an appropriate pastime for young women of wealth and leisure. Ah, your ladylike accomplishments. Yes, yes. Add it to the list. So while in its original meaning, filigree was typically done in gold and sort of jeweler's work, the type of filigree or quilling being done by ladies of this time would have been done using gilded or gold-colored papers in order to mimic that look of metallic filigree. According to the 1786 publication, The New Ladies Magazine, or Polite and Entertaining Companion for the Fair Sex, entirely devoted to their use and amusement. Quote, Paper filigree, as revived by modern artists, affords an amusement to the female mind capable of the most pleasing and extensive variety, and at the same time that it conduces to fill up a leisure hour with an innocent recreation that it is also an art which may be readily acquired and pursued at a very trifling expense. So it's a stamp of approval from the New Ladies magazine. Yes, They're they're all for this activity. Yes. (laughs) Nobody shall look askance at you doing your filigree work in the corner. That's (laughs) right. And this magazine also offers a rather lengthy list of places where quilling might be usefully applied. So here we go from the text. Quote, The art of paper filigree may be likewise extended to a variety of useful as well as ornamental articles, such as tea caddies, toilettes, chimney pieces, work bags or baskets, screens, cabinets, inkstands, frames, and picture ornaments, etc., etc. I'm picturing the chimney piece at Rosings just covered <laughs> in filigree work now. Yeah, so this list, you know, it's giving you all sorts of options, but you will notice that the filigree basket is included in this list, which then, of course, brings us to Lucy Steele and what she is making for Lady Middleton's daughter in this scene in Sense and Sensibility. The basket that Lucy is creating could be referring to an already constructed basket that she then attaches her designs to, which would probably be the most common Mm -hmm. in this scenario. Or it could mean that she is literally constructing a basket from this quill work, which would make it exceptionally fragile. I've only seen one or two examples of this, but it did exist. But yeah, yeah it's most likely it was more of the, the constructed basket that she's attaching. Yeah. It's likely that she was putting the quill work on an already constructed basket as opposed to doing this highly fragile work, especially since it's for a child. But... Right. 
I wouldn't give this sort of thing to my three-year-old. I mean, I have I have one and I wouldn't, this would not last more than a day. Like it might not last 10 minutes with my three-year-old. Yeah. So it's, it's a pretty interesting choice of gift for a three-year-old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Austin makes it pretty obvious that she thinks that this is kind of silly when she highlights that Lucy is, quote, making a filigree basket for a spoiled child. So this is very much, Lady Middleton is just like, oh, it doesn't matter if it gets completely ruined in five seconds. Like, I have to make this for my kid. Yeah. And she's not subtle in asserting that she really expects this gift. And Lucy understands this. Um, She understands her host's expectations and picks up on the hint. Such as it is. As subtle as it wasn't. (laughs) Um, She picks up on that right away. And so the exchange between Lucy and Lady Middleton becomes a fairly overt kind of transaction here. According to Gillian Haight Stevenson in her book, Austin's Unbecoming Conjunctions, Subversive Laughter, Embodied History, quote, by the late 18th century, filigree became fashionable with wealthy, leisured ladies, or in Lucy's case, with those who toiled for those who enjoyed such status. What Lady Middleton posits as a leisure activity is hard labor as Lucy strains her eyes, finishing intricate designs in a darkened room. It's really not very subtle, right? That, that she's yeah. like, she's, she is at being asked to work for Lady Middleton. And Hate Stevenson continues, quote, women's work ensures material survival. Here, Lucy earns her keep, which Austin accents by repeating the word work six times in two pages. Lady Middleton orders working candles, and Lucy draws her work table near her. Eleanor, who wants to have a private conversation with Lucy, exploits this opportunity by announcing that she will be of some use in rolling her papers for her, and that she should like the work exceedingly. Lady Middleton releases them from their other work, the social responsibility of playing cards, since Eleanor claims to like the filigree work. So there's just this idea of work, 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 and that it's kind of maybe Lucy's social dues for being able to be present here. Well, it's sort of in this particular scene, it's very much Lucy's kind of playing the role of a companion, Mm -hmm. you know, like if she were a paid companion to Lady Middleton, where it's like, am I a guest? Am I Mm -hmm. a servant? What is my role in this household? Right. And I'm only able to say, stay with you in this luxurious house as long as I keep you happy. Live up to your expectations. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's a very kind of murky position that she's she's holding right here. Yeah. yeah. It's definitely not one of a social equal. No, no. And that's pretty clear. At this point in the narrative, Lucy's social position is really very overt. She's definitely meant to be one of the novel's antagonists, but... You have to respect that Lucy is playing this really intricate game to stay within these influential social spheres. Like, she wants to stay at Barton mm-hmm. Park, you know? She doesn't want to be sent back home. Yeah, this is this is as good as it can kind of be for her yeah. right now. Yeah, other than being taken in by Mrs. John Dashwood. Right, you know? right. Like... Yeah, apart from, yeah, her engagement with Edward that's supposed to secure her another great position. Yeah, exactly. This is as good as it's going to get for her. So she is really having to put in the work. You know, uh-huh. she has a part to play. And she understands what that role is and what it entails. Yeah. In Monica Beth's article, Submerged Symbols in Jane Austen, she points out that, quote, The basket itself is an ironic statement on Lucy's approach to life. Constructed with intent adroitness, it is a net of little safeguards laced together and open work of flattery and self-interest. 
So it's, you know, she's, she has to build in these safeguards. And so, yeah, this intricate work is working on lots of different levels for sure. She is looking out for herself when she makes this labor-intensive basket for a child who will likely destroy it in minutes. But staying in Lady Middleton's good graces is priority, and I have to respect that hustle. Austin just ingeniously pairs this moment of Lucy's very real reliance on other people, again, in order to sort of maintain the level of social standing that she has, which does eject, I think, a certain amount of reality and possible sympathy for Lucy, or at least you can see where she's coming from. Right, yeah. And then that is combined with some of the most delightfully ruthless parry and thrust dialogue in all of her work when Eleanor and Lucy verbally duel while just being so polite on the surface. You know, it's just, they're like ducks. Up above, it's all calm and underwater. Their Mm -hmm. feet are just paddling so fast. Yes. This is perhaps one of my favorite scenes in the novel. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And this is actually the first novel of Jane Austen's that I that I read was Sense and Sensibility. And so this scene has always been one of those where I was like, this is when I knew that this was masterful material here. So, you know, we have this scene where Eleanor purposely creates an opportunity to talk with Lucy so that she can find out more about the secret engagement between Lucy and Edward. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's not She's not there to do filigree work because she really wants to. No, she has an end game. And so does Lucy. So Lucy's on guard while Eleanor is creating this opening. Lucy is like working to barb her with statements about how deeply in love with Edward she is and how much Edward loves her. While Eleanor is just parrying this with just gorgeous sang-froid. She's like, let's play. Let's (laughs) play. And Hate Stevenson points out that Quote, what the young women posit as a partnership is competition, as they, with the utmost harmony, engage in forwarding the same work. Lucy professes love and affection for Edward while working filigree and manipulating Eleanor. She's trying, right? She's trying, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that that deserves maybe a little bit of a qualifier because I, Lucy's clearly trying to manipulate Eleanor, but come on. Eleanor knows exactly what is going on. Oh, yeah. She set this up. Like, please. She went into the filigree fray knowing full well (laughs) what she was getting into. Absolutely. So during this epic exchange, according to Beth, the filigree work turns this basket into, quote, an object on which to fix the attention and shield the necessity of eye-to-eye confrontation. The reader is constantly reminded of the girl's busy hands by pointed references in the narration to eye movements. As the girls feel each other out by way of backhanded compliments, glances indicate their unspoken comprehension, though the verbal exchange is consciously non-communicative. So, you know, this this whole scene is again where they've got like this eye contact that's like, I know what you really mean. But, they, you know, they have to look like they're side by side being like doing this work companionably. So the I think this deserves an example of the kind of verbal exchange and references to eye movements. So this example from the text comes pretty early on in their conversation. And we are going to give you yet another sampling of Reader's Theater. Shorter than some we have done previously. (laughs) Thank you, cried Lucy warmly, for breaking the ice. You have set my heart at ease by it. For I was somehow or other afraid I had offended you by what I told you that Monday. Offended me? How could you suppose so? Believe me. And Eleanor spoke it with truest sincerity. 
Nothing could be further from my intention than to give you such an idea. Could you have a motive for the trust that was not honorable and flattering to me? And yet I do assure you, replied Lucy, her little sharp eyes full of meaning, there seemed to me to be a coldness and displeasure in your manner that made me quite uncomfortable. I felt sure that you was angry with me. <laughs> it's just, oh, this exchange is just so good, right? You know, Lucy being like, oh, I worried, you know, that you were, that, that this was like sad news for you. And yeah, Eleanor, and I love that little side note by the narrator. Eleanor spoke it with the truest sincerity. Yeah. She's like, um, I would most definitely not be trying to give you that idea. Right. Don't pretend that I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so at the end of this full exchange that Austin delivers, we also get this additional brilliant commentary from the narrator. The confidential discourse of the two ladies was therefore at an end, to which both of them submitted without any reluctance. For nothing had been said on either side to make them dislike each other less than they had done before. And Eleanor sat down to the card table with the melancholy persuasion that Edward was not only without affection for the person who was to be his wife, but that he had not even the chance of being tolerably happy in marriage, which sincere affection on her side would have given. For self-interest alone could induce a woman to keep a man to an engagement of which she seemed so thoroughly aware that he was weary. So good. I mean, I get it. I am a Lucy Steele defender in this situation. Yeah, like, she's, got, she's got to play her game, right? You know, impoverished spinsterhood or married to a rich guy. Yes. Yeah, she's got her elbows out. And again, you have to admire the hustle. For a woman in her position and of this time, you really can't blame her oh, for yeah. Security, what she's doing. money. Yeah. Like, she'll, yeah. she'll deal with a kind of unhappy spouse. Like, she's cool with that. It doesn't make her a pleasant character, and it doesn't. It obviously does not endear her to Eleanor yeah. in terms of uh, the possibility of friendship. Yeah. But I think if you look just at her situation, you can understand why she is clinging so hard to this engagement and willing to do whatever it takes to like push potential rivals mm -hmm. out of the way. Yeah, these are high stakes for her. Yeah, it's high stakes and has real consequences for her. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I love I love that she's like yeah. They walk away from this, both of them being like yep. Yeah, I still really don't like her, and we both fully understand where each other is coming from, so, okay. Just the phrasing, too. To make them dislike each other less than they had done before. Like, it's just <laughs> the way that is worded. It's so funny. It's so good. Oh, goodness. It is just, it's, it's brilliant. I love this scene. The best part about the scene is just that Austin is kind of like, you know, there's not really, like, no, no clear winner or loser. It's a bit of a draw, you know? <laughs> like, that filigree basket is serving its purpose in allowing the two of them, Eleanor and Lucy, to have this conversation in private. And you kind of get this sense of how the intricacy of the work that is being completed with that basket, you know, because Austin could have just said, you know, she was helping Lucy with her work or, you know, they could have mm -hmm. been doing some kind of stitching together. Like, yeah. There's plenty of other things that they could have been working on. But there's something about this very delicate, detailed filigree work being mirrored in the exchange the two of them are having yeah. that very elaborate delicate dance of dialogue mm -hmm. that ends up revealing nearly everything about lucy's position and personality we are learning so much about lucy and where she's coming from yeah. in this exchange and the way that it's sort of going along with the filigree work it's, it's a matched set really yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and it's and, and again, because it's serving this purpose in the dialogue, it almost doesn't matter that obviously Anna Marie is going to destroy this later. It's like it served its larger function, which was to enable this particularly beautiful conversation. <laughs> yes. Beautiful filigree work and a beautiful, vicious conversation. Uh, so vicious. It's just it's perfection. I love it so much. So when it comes to Austin's other works, there is actually a reference to gold paper in Persuasion when the Musgrove ladies have their paper craft materials spread out on the table. And there are definitely other references to other types of work and craft that accomplished young ladies would have produced in this era. And we definitely plan to talk about some of those in greater detail in later episodes. Well, if you have ever had an extremely tense, but not appearing to be tense conversation with somebody <laughs> over a filigree work basket. I mean, I obviously want to hear about that. You definitely must hear about this. I'd also be curious to hear from listeners who maybe have tried this kind of paper quill work. Yeah, it's still apparently quite popular. So yeah. Yeah, I actually went through a phase where I got kind of into it. So it's kind of funny, that passage from the Ladies Work magazine, mm -hmm. the Ladies magazine that we read, they were like, oh, so, so calm and easy. I'm like, oh, it's actually really intricate work here. Yeah, it's actually quite intricate, detailed work. Yeah, so I played around with it a little bit, not at this level at all. I wasn't decorating baskets or anything like that, but you know. But if we have listeners who are experienced with that kind of work and maybe oh, want to yeah. share Please some photos yeah. of their craft, we definitely want to hear about mm -hmm. it. I will not be sharing any of mine because it's not very good. <laughs> but you can find us on Instagram at the thing about Austin and on Twitter at Austin underscore things. You can also check out our website, thethingaboutaustin.com and email us at thethingaboutaustin at gmail.com. And stay tuned for our next episode where we will be talking about polluting the shades of Pemberley. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.